the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The Apostle Paul told the Romans in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Think about that. He said, what you're going through now is so minuscule that it can't even be compared. I won't even start to try to compare it to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And we don't know all about it. We We haven't been told all that awaits us, but it's marvelous. And that ought to encourage you when you're discouraged on the narrow road. The Tour de France is one of the most grueling bicycle races in the world. The riders cover over 2,000 miles, much of which passes through some of France's most challenging mountain roads. They eat and drink on their bikes and deal with extremes of heat and cold. The riders train by riding tens of thousands of miles each year. What is the prize for the winner? A yellow shirt. Their motive is simply to be able to say they finished the Tour de France. It's an impressive accomplishment, but compare that to the glorious future in store for the genuine Christ follower, and you have to wonder why we have such a reluctance to work and suffer for our Lord. Hello, this is Peter Silseth. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. At Verse by Verse Ministries, we are delighted to be able to make his helpful messages available to you through this fine radio station. A Gallup poll several years ago indicated that 78% of Americans believe they will go to heaven. Yet the vast majority live to please themselves rather than God. I wonder how many people are on the wide road and how many are on the narrow road. Jesus, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, described those two ways. His words might make us wonder why so many people choose the wide road. If you have your Bible handy, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The third key truth about salvation that Jesus taught is the narrow road is the road, he said, that leads to life. The narrow road is the road that leads to life. Verse 14 goes on to say, For the gate is small, the way is narrow, that leads to life. Now, in the previous verse, Jesus said that the broad way leads to destruction. Now he tells us that the narrow way leads to life. So there's a contrast, destruction and life. But what exactly does the Lord mean by life? This is not a reference to physical life. It's a reference to spiritual life. You see, the Bible teaches very clearly that due to our sinful natures, we are all born into this world dead spiritually dead. We had physical life, obviously, or else we wouldn't come into this world, but we were spiritually dead. That is to say that apart from, from faith in Christ, we have, we, we have none of God's life within us. We were, like, we were like living corpses, unresponsive to God. That's why we hated him. We were disinterested in him, unresponsive to him. 
That's why we were blind. There, there's no, there was no communication with us and God. You may have said prayers, but they got no higher than the ceiling. There was no fellowship between you and God because God is holy. You can't fellowship with spiritually dead people. Paul wrote to the Ephesians about this. And this is very important to understand. Those who, those who don't accept the doctrine of God's sovereignty in election really don't understand the depravity of man. Because if you don't understand that man is depraved, you'll think that man in and of himself can figure it all out and that he has the power to bring life to himself. Dead people can't repent. Dead people can't do anything spiritually. They must be made alive by the Lord. And and right here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, It's in the past tense, in which he says, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, in indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. This, This is a picture of fallen man without Christ. This is the way we all were. At one time, we were dead in sins and trespasses. We followed the course of this world. We followed Satan, even if we didn't believe personally in him. We did whatever we thought was right. We had no response to God because we were dead, dead. Verse four, he turns a corner. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, notice this, God who is rich in mercy, has great love for his people. It says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul adds, by grace, you've been saved. This is the the miraculous, mysterious regeneration that comes to those that are saved. We were dead. God worked in our hearts. He regenerated. The word regeneration simply means that God gives you life. It's the same concept uh, of being born again. That's what it means, by the way, to be born again. It means that God places his life within you. It's, it's a divine nature you get. It's the life of God in you. That's why Christianity is not, it's not reformation. It isn't that we clean up the outside. That's what the Pharisees did. Christianity is transformation. It starts with the life of God in us and he changes our hearts and as he gives us our life, now we want to obey him and we have different values and different ambitions and a different way of looking at things and now we long to do what's right even as we still struggle with our, our sin because that sin wasn't eradicated. We still have it. We struggle with it. And so, and so Jesus is telling us that This narrow gate opens up to a narrow way of life, which leads to life itself. The scripture often refers to this, this life as eternal or everlasting life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's why we're all dead. We're all sinners. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. His life within us is a gift that comes only through faith in Christ. Now the expression eternal life is a favorite expression used that was used by Jesus, especially you read this throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus many times spoke about eternal or everlasting life. For example, John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not Obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 5, 24. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. John six forty seven. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And then in John 10, John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Because they have eternal life, Jesus said, they'll never perish. They have life eternal. Now, most people, when they hear the expression eternal or everlasting life, assume that, that all that this refers to is a quantity of life, a longevity. It's eternal. It's everlasting. And it does mean that, but it means so much more than that. John 17.3, in John 17.3, Jesus actually defined it for us. We don't have to even guess what it is. But in John 17.3, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus said to the Father, this is eternal life. He said, this is it. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus defined eternal life as an intimate and personal relationship with God the Father and with God the Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, it's having fellowship with him. It begins now. It begins at our conversion, but it continues. It begins at our conversion, and we have eternal life in this fallen world. We don't get eternal life when we die. We have it the moment we trust Christ. And this personal relationship continues in this sinful world and on into the next world as we go and join him in heaven. That's what eternal life is. So, so it's, it's not simply a quantity of life. It's a quality of life as well. You don't get it in the future. If you're a believer, you have it now. So in light of the fact that this narrow road leads to eternal life, both here and forever, question that I would wonder, and you probably wonder this too, then why would anyone stay on the broad way that leads to destruction? Why would anyone do that? You'd have to be a fool to continue on the road that leads to hell. But many continue walking to their destruction for that very reason. They are fools. That's what the Bible calls them. And their foolishness is revealed by the fact that they love their sin so much. They cling to it so much. They would rather hold on to it now and end up in hell than turn from their sin and live forever with God in heaven. Folks, sinfulness is so deceitful. Our minds will convince us that sin is so important that for, let's say, we live 70, 80 years, it's more important to live it up now and go to hell forever and ever and ever than to repent and receive eternal life. That's the deceitfulness of sinfulness. But to the Christian who has repented of his sins and now lives on that narrow road, sometimes we get discouraged, don't we? Nobody likes to be called narrow. It has difficulties. You're bombarded with satanic oppression. The flesh, our own flesh, fights against us. People fight against us. The standards are high. We're tempted to to move beyond the narrowness of Scripture. And sometimes we get discouraged. What is it that ought to encourage us? Well, one thing that ought to encourage us on this road is that this is the road that leads home to glory. It won't always be like this. 
It may be difficult now, but there is an end. And the end of this road brings us home to heaven. Folks, that's, that's a very important truth to understand. Sometimes we, we think that this is all there is. This is our frame of reference. And that's why we need to focus on eternity. That's why I believe it's important to understand prophetic truth. Prophetic truth ought to help us to be encouraged about the way we live now. Because there is a future. The Apostle Paul told the Romans in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Think about that. He said, what you're going through now is so minuscule that it can't even be compared. I won't even start to try to compare it to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And we don't know all about it. We, don't, we haven't been told all that awaits us, but it's marvelous. And that ought to encourage you when you're discouraged on the narrow road. Peter told his suffering readers that we have an inheritance waiting for us. He said, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What a glorious future we have. This road leads to heaven. And so Jesus made it clear that our salvation begins by entering through a narrow gate that opens into a narrow road that leads to a life of fellowship with God in this world and perfect fellowship in the world to come. But there's a fourth and final truth that Jesus spoke of concerning salvation in verse 14. And it's this, few people will enter the kingdom of God. Few people will enter the kingdom of God. Notice once again, verse 14. He said, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And then the closing statement is this, and there are few who find it. There are few who find it. In contrast to the large crowds of people who enter through the wide gate that leads to destruction, Jesus tells us that few will enter through this small gate that leads to life. Now, we don't want to misunderstand the Lord here. He's not teaching that just a handful of people are going to be saved. He's not teaching that in heaven you can just count the number of people on your fingers and toes. He's not saying that at all. And we know that because in such verses as Revelation 7-9, we're told that, that there will be a great multitude in glory that no man can number. Listen to what John said of this revelation given to him in 7-9. He said, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. John said, when I looked, I saw a number that, that no one was able to even count up to of all kinds of people from all different nations, from all different languages and all different backgrounds. And they were standing before God's throne and before the son's throne and they were worshiping. So it isn't accurate to say that there will be so few in heaven that, that it's just a handful of people. What Jesus is saying when he says few will find it is that believers are few in number in comparison, in comparison to all the people who have lived and died without faith in Christ. This is, this is a relative number. In other words, compared to the large number of individuals who end up in hell, billions upon billions upon billions in the history of mankind, those who are going to heaven will be, relative, will be a relatively small amount. That's, that's what he's saying. Now, the question is why? Why? Why will only a small minority of mankind be saved? That's troubled many people. Theologians have debated that. 
Bible school seniors and, and freshmen and others will stay up all night discussing this. But you know what? We could debate it. We could discuss it. But it'd be a waste of our time. It'd be speculation. It, it, it's like discussing why you might be chosen and someone else isn't. There, there is no answer given in Scripture about this. There is no definitive answer. Why are so few in number? Why, why won't everybody be saved? Well, we know they won't, but Jesus hasn't told us why. However, we do know what Jesus would say if we posed the question to him because the Bible says that, that one day someone did pose this question to him. Why are so few saved? And I want you to see this. Luke chapter 13. You look at Luke chapter 13, you'll see that, that someone did ask Jesus this question and how he answered is the way we should answer others who ask the same thing. And in our own minds, what we should do when we think about this. Luke 13, beginning at verse 23, and some said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Now, that's the same question. Are there just the implications? Yes, there are. And he said to them, notice this, Jesus really didn't answer their question. But he did say, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he'll answer and say to you, I don't know where you're from. And it goes on to say, he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You see, when, when Christ was asked if there are only a few who will be saved, he didn't answer the question directly. He said, in essence, leave that to God. That's God's business, not yours. God and God alone will determine who will be saved. That's not for you to, to try to figure out. That information is with him and him alone. But what he did say, what you need to do, instead of trying to figure out how many will be saved, you need to make sure that you are saved. That's what he means when he said, strive to enter into the narrow gate. In other words, stop thinking and worrying theologically about the world so much in terms of numbers. Are you saved? Make sure that you have entered into the kingdom. Make sure that you have. That's the question that all of us need to ask ourselves. Have we entered through this door? Because you know what? Jesus said there's coming a time that on that day of judgment when the doors will be closed and there's no more opportunity to be saved. And he said there'll be many who will declare that they deserve entrance into, into heaven. But the Lord will turn them away. And we'll see in a few weeks in the Gospel of Matthew, some will say, but Lord, we, we prophesied, we taught, and we cast out demons in your name, and we did all kinds of things in service to you. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, those folks who will pound on the door saying, we did all this for you, will think that they deserve it. That haven't they been good enough to get to heaven? And Jesus will tell them the truth. No, you haven't. No one has. That's why salvation is a gift. That's why eternal life is a gift. It's by, why it's by grace. No one deserves entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The few who are going there are going there because of God's grace in, in Christ. Jesus has paid for all of their sin and they recognize that. And they humbly come to him admitting that they don't have a little sin. They admit that they deserve to spend eternity in hell. They admit that they are wicked and they are poor in spirit and they are depleted and deprived and spiritually bankrupt of any goodness of their own. And they turn from that sin. And as they're turning, there's a commitment to follow Christ. They're sick of their, their way of life. They don't want to continue 
on the, that road and on that way of life, they want a new life. And so they, they turn from their sin, they turn to Christ with a commitment to follow Him as their Lord, and they trust Him to save them because they know He died for their sins, and that's the only way any of us will ever get to heaven. Folks, that's the way to enter His kingdom. You bow low in humility and repentance, and you trust Him. Question is, have you entered His kingdom If you haven't, will you enter it today? Let's bow for prayer. Now, I realize a message like this sometimes can leave people a little confused. So to you who are believers, I want to say, when Jesus gives the high standards of the narrowness of that road, that that doesn't mean that we perfectly follow him as committed disciples all the time in our lives. We, We do stumble. We do fall. Sometimes we get off the narrowness of this path. But the evidence that you're on the path, the evidence that you're a true disciple is that you hate your sin and you confess it and you get back on. And the desire of your heart is to go in the direction of the narrowness of Scripture. Yes, our obedience is certainly imperfect. But the fact that there is a desire there means that you have the life of God in you, that you've been born again. So don't be discouraged by this. And don't feel like who can possibly live up to these standards. By God's grace, he gives us the strength to obey him. And when we don't, we confess it and we know it's wrong. But to those of you who have never entered into that gate, I urge you to do so now. You never know. You never know how long you have left to live. I mentioned about living to 70 or 80. That's not a promise for all of us. There could be some of you who will not make it back here next week. It'll be the end of the road for you. You want to make sure that road leads to glory in heaven and not hell. Well, Father, thank you for these powerful and stunning words. Lord, thank you for caring enough about us to tell us the truth. Thank you that those who don't know you, Lord, have been told the high cost of discipleship. And I pray that and I know that as you work in our hearts, you can keep those away. They can't be kept away by words of the high standards of discipleship. They won't be kept away because the spirit of God will be drawing them to yourself. And so I pray for some even today who will respond to let Christ be king of their lives. I pray for for those of us, Lord, who do know you, that that you'll help us to be transformed by these words and the way we share the gospel, to never be afraid to tell people the high cost of being a disciple, to not be afraid that they'll be turned off. Lord, help us to be as evangelistic in our method as Jesus was, as well as our message, repentance and faith. Father, I pray you'll take these words, apply them where they must be applied to our own individual lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for drawing our attention to the exclusive nature of salvation and also for reminding us that we need to sense the urgency of our situation. We have no idea when the door will close, but when it does, it will be so abrupt that we will not even have time to say, I believe. The time to choose the narrow gate, if you have not already done so, is right now. This concludes Pastor Steve's message on the narrow entrance into the kingdom of God. Pastor Steve Kreloff is teaching us one verse at a time from the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in the book of Matthew. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving for over 27 years. 
In our next verse-by-verse radio Bible class, Pastor Steve will continue our series of lessons from Matthew. Verse-by-verse is produced by Verse-by-verse Ministries, a ministry that is made possible by the gifts and prayers of our listeners. If you know someone who would benefit from these classes, please invite them to listen next time. If they cannot listen at this time, then tell them about our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have today's lesson and many previous ones available for listening online or downloading. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette with the entire message that today's class concluded, they are available by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number and we'll call you back during weekday office hours so that you can place your order. Our number, if you didn't catch it, is 727-441-1714. For the past few days, we have been considering the choice Jesus offered to his listeners, the broad way or the narrow way. Next, he has a warning. Watch out for people who will try to lure you away from the narrow way and into the broad way. Jesus called them false prophets. And in the next verse by verse, Pastor Steve will begin telling us how to identify them. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.